Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that uh, Monday's here because I love Mondays. I always look forward to after a relaxing weekend uh, to rejoin uh, my Faith Radio family and to be with you throughout these next couple of hours. I've got a great show planned. I've been working on it all morning, and here we are. It is already time to start the program, and Patrick Albanese will be joining me in just a minute. And then Pastor David Miles for the Monday afternoon mix with uh, uh, David and Rosie and I. And then in the second hour, I'm going to have a episode of Words of the Wise, which is a favorite segment of mine. And the qualifications to do that is you need to be a follower of Jesus for decades and decades and decades. And you have to be at least 75 or older to be on the, on the uh, segment. So uh, Dr. Millard Erickson will be joining me, and he um, is going to give a lot of wisdom, which I'm looking forward to. So to get things started, let's bring on Patrick. He's uh, the way I like to get things started on Monday, a little on the light side, a little yes. bit, uh, nothing too serious uh, for starters. Patrick, welcome. You saved the wisdom for later. <laughs> I did, yes. Yeah. And bring you I, on I, first, I, you know, that works out very good. Soft. Yeah. I want you to know, by the way, because uh, I know this is important to you and, and to some of the listeners, because they know about my dog, Ace. I've made a breakthrough with the dog, I, I you know, because he prefers my wife. Uh, about 10 times over preferring me. But lately he comes and he lays at my side when I play the banjo. And really? uh, I th- yeah, you, you would think that that noise would not be too appealing to a dog. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and, and then I discovered why. It's because the banjo picks are very, very close to the fingernails that my wife has. So what he really wants is for me to scratch him. Oh, I thought I he was it. coming to hear me play the banjo. Oh, and no. He, he actually, he comes in and he says, you know those, those things you got in your fingers? Yeah. Get away from the strings. My back needs some scratching. Um, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing, this dog. That's fantastic. Like, this, the closest I can get there, you know, him having my wife around and preferring me is if I wear long fingernails. So oh, funny. So yeah. I, I know your, your block is practically entirely torn up for construction and they're putting in all kinds of new uh, equipment. So... The neighbors have to be nicer than usual to each other because of the situation. How have the neighbors been, and how have you been as a neighbor? Well, okay. I've been, last year, uh, it it ended at my driveway while allowing me access to my driveway. So that's when they did one half of the street. And uh, it was great, and a lot of people would park in my driveway to drop off things if they were in the construction half, and I was great about it. Occasionally, one of my neighbors, sometimes I'd be pulling into my own driveway and I'd have to go around him to get into my garage. <laughs> and he never acknowledged me. He never, you know, That's stuck his head out, said, hey, I'm just here for a minute waiting for, you know, to unload some groceries or something like that. And he, would, he ignored me. <laughs> so I, I, I just, I let it go. It's, you know, we're under construction. Well, now they're picking up the construction and they took out half of my driveway and now I can't get to my driveway. But... There was a spot right in front of my house that um, I was able to fit my car in. I could squeeze it in so that I didn't have to walk too far. And all the neighbors said, well, that's in front of your house. That's wonderful. You, you know, and, and they've just been letting me, 
you know, parked there. Nobody's ever challenged me on it, <laughs> except one neighbor who actually has access to his driveway and he's got a double wide and he's been taking up two street spots so he can leave his driveway open so he can get his truck in. <laughs> and I think everybody's having to park. Like today I had to park a half a block away from my own house with my groceries and I come down and I see these spots and they're all his cars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but have you, I, I'm like, dear Lord, have you seen, have you met my neighbor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I was struggling today to, to not only love my neighbor, to, to even just like my neighbor. Oh, funny. Uh, it's yeah. funny. And he owns a music store that, and I, I, I say I pay him $60 a month to rent instruments for my kids. And I'm thinking, you know, you want to keep that contract. You want to keep that, <laughs> that money flowing. <laughs> you give me my parking spot back. Oh, funny. Yeah. It's been a bit of a struggle. Yeah. A bit of a struggle. So I think over the weekend we were chatting briefly about words and how words are important and words always have been important and words will always be important. And then I hear phrases that I, I sometimes think we quickly accept into our vocabulary without doing a lot of analysis of them. And I think that we need to be cautious of as well. And one of the phrases that I hear quite often, and I think it came up again with uh, the anniversary of Prince's death or his birthday mm -hmm. or something, was the accidental overdose. And I always think, well, if you are taking a non-prescribed drug that a physician is, is not administering and you take more than you've been prescribed, that would be an accidental overdose. But if you're taking unregulated street drugs, uh, mm -hmm. when do you decide you've, you've taken an accidental, an accidental overdose? Can't you just say, this person died from an overdose. Yeah, it, it is a, you know, and I, some people might say that could be, I don't even say nitpicky, but just, you know, they would say, well, you know, Prince did not intend, you know, to die. And so that was the accidental part. And, and I do understand that. Um, you know, it's funny how we uh, sometimes cut people slack for, let's say, in Prince's case, you say an accidental overdose. But if uh, Prince were to have been a cigarette smoker for 30, 35, 40 years and developed lung cancer and died from that, we would say, well, that's the kind of thing that happens when you smoke cigarettes for 35 or 40 years. Mm -hmm. You run the risk of being one of the victims of lung cancer. And we wouldn't say that he accidentally died from lung cancer. And so I, I get your point because you're right. It, it's it's uh, I, I understand he didn't intend to die, but you have to also understand the risks in taking such a powerful substance. Um, you know, you and I have known people. Uh, I there was one uh, a husband of a woman I know who he died from an accidental heroin overdose. Uh, and you say, well, how do you call that accidental? You know, once you've put that needle in, there's very much the intent of I'm taking a risk because this is the kind of thing that happens. It's it's tough. We we play with language and then pretty soon we don't recognize it anymore. I don't disagree. I mean, when you look at some of these street drugs that are completely unregulated, you don't know what you're shooting in your arm. If you were a drug user, you have all my compassion and sympathy. I would love nothing more than to help get you clean and sober. Yeah. But let's say you don't really desire to die, but you are shooting something or ingesting something that is so unregulated 
um, and you and you might be in a state of confusion and, and and excited to the point where you want to keep taking it, and then you die. So I, wouldn't you just say the poor person died of an overdose? Well, and and uh, yeah, because if if um, if if somebody were to consume too much alcohol and then drive off the road into a ditch, and if they were to die that way, we wouldn't say that it was from accidentally drinking too much alcohol. We we would. So I, I wonder why why is it? It seems to be particularly on the drug issue that um, are we cutting you know people slack because we understand that they didn't have an intent to, to harm themselves or. Is it because we're so fearful of trying to you know, get our fingers on addiction? I, th- I think we, I think we know enough about addiction now to, you know, all know that it's it is kind of a there, but for the grace of God go I. We 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 mm-hmm. hopefully have made very smart choices in our lives, but we also understand. Uh, my wife has a cousin, and she was brilliant, brilliant young girl, and in college was a brilliant young woman, and then. Uh, became addicted to meth, and she cannot live on her own anymore. So, uh, and she didn't certainly uh, start out that way. And you say, well, what happened? You know, she started with the one time she took a drug, and then the path that path began. And maybe that's why we we have a little bit more sympathy uh, with the language with people like Prince, because we say, how did it start? Was it just you know one day he got a painkiller and said? This worked. This took care of my pain and didn't intend to get addicted. But the next thing you know, he's addicted and eating stronger and stronger stuff. And maybe we see ourselves and say, gosh, could that happen to me? I don't want to be too harsh. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. When I first started doing work in recovery with people that have addiction, addiction issues, I, I met a guy. He said, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in the 60s. And uh, the word alcoholic didn't really exist in my neighborhood the word was drunk. You were a drunk and needed to repent. That's what he said. He said, yeah. now, he said, I'm afraid we've gotten to the point where sin has become so medicalized that we, you're not a, you know, you're not a thief anymore. You're, you've, you've got, you're a kleptomaniac. So you've got some victimhood attached yeah. to you. So you're, you're an unlicensed owner of, of a product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, you, you see that all over the news with celebrities. I mean, they're not they're not immoral. They have a sex addiction. Yeah, uh, and I, you think to yourself, well, did it, did did the change in the language work? Did it make it a little bit less harsh? And and it does. I mean, I don't know if you would dream of calling. You know, we've had terms. Uh, I mean, Mayberry. Uh, they had. Well, what did they, what did they they call? Didn't they just call him the? Oh, they didn't call him a town drunk. He was a a wino. They had a lot of names for him. Yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I certainly Otis was a wino. Otis was a wino. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't even. We, I never heard. I don't hear that phrase anymore. Uh, but it, it, it's and it's nice, you know, because maybe if if that helps save some people, because they say what you have is an addiction problem that we can help you with, mm-hmm. and if that saves some people, I am all for it. But, uh, but what about it, personal responsibility, Patrick? And how important it is to take personal responsibility. And if you are, in a, that, yeah, if you've got an yeah. addiction, one of the greatest things to do is to say, I am powerless over this. I need help. I think when it comes to personal responsibility, I'm all for it for everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it is tough. 
these days, it seems like to even throw that idea out there that, um, you know, my, my brother, uh, I don't know if I've ever told the story, but uh, my brother Bob, you know, spent ended up spending three years in Joliet, which is not a nice place. And it started with... Uh, it's a prison in his, Chicago. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, if you've ever seen the Blues Brothers, yes. uh, uh, take out the singing and dancing. <laughs> <laughs> right. And add more iron bars. I mean, it was amazing to go visit him there. And he was there for a, a drug offense. And he sold drugs to pay for his own drug habit. Um, and, uh, you know, it's back then, it was, you're a drug addict. Mm -hmm. You're a drug addict. And I don't think people even offered a way to help. They said, well, this will help. You won't be able to get any drugs in prison. <laughs> and that's what they did. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we offer ways for, for people to be helped now. But um, I, are we doing as much help with we're trying to remove stigma? I get that. But uh, sometimes that that can help, too, saying, you know, is this how you want your life to be? Yeah. Let me take a short break. Patrick Goldman is, is my guest. Get Monday started. We'll uh, be right back. The brain if you had one. Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. That theme song is for Patrick Albanese. I always like to get things started on Monday with my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. And uh, Patrick, I read in the Wall Street Journal today that 20-somethings are, are dressing like senior citizens. It's called a grandpa style. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's a new one for me. There was a remember. I'm trying to think of when this happened. Maybe it was the '90s, where it was basically the Floyd the Barber look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's uh, see. I think everything says there's, there's a 30 year. There's a 30 year gap. You know, uh, the Andy Griffith show is on, and then 30 years later, the young kids are like, "I had Floyd the Barber. He had it figured out." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get like a, like a fisher fishing hat and a bowling shirt. And uh, I, we do a lot of them. They were a lot of the artsy people. And so I guess this is the next thing. Uh, really? So w <laughs> what does this – Is do they have the black socks on the shorts? Uh, well, it's just, it's, it's the, they call it the grandpa look. And I don't know quite what the, uh, what the draw is. But, I mean, whenever spring rolls around and I, I start to see elderly gentlemen start to pull out their spring outfits, <laughs> 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 I always think to myself, you look really sporty, which is uh, polite for nothing matches. <laughs> yeah, that's we used to have. I, I there were a couple of uh, magician friends I had back in my Magic Castle days, and they would compile these ways of 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 compliment. Or <laughs> if you saw somebody who performed who wasn't particularly uh, doing a very good job, they would say, "Well, what were the things you could say that sounded like a compliment that weren't?" You know. <laughs> so you know, you would have these things like to go, "Oh, you should have seen it from where I was," because that that was. <laughs> So I think sporty kind of fits into that uh, um, that category. Do you remember years ago when we both had the opportunity to uh, do your show in Dublin, Ireland, and uh, the 
first night that you do the show, people are walking out of the theater and they walk up to you and they're saying things like brilliant. And you say, I have never been called brilliant in my <laughs> life. Right. And after about a week of this, you say, I, I think I've been called brilliant about 142 times. What exactly does that mean? Something <laughs> different, different over here. And it kind of meant pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It was okay. <laughs> it was like, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. It's not bad. I'm not going to ask for my money back. Not all of it, just some of it. But uh, uh, yeah, so I think sporty. Sporty is good. Uh, I'm going I, I to have to start looking for this. Is it partly because maybe some of these millennials are still living with their grandparents and they're just <laughs> borrowing the clothing? <laughs> maybe, maybe. But, you know, the, the fashion trends, I don't even know what's going on. I, I mean, people have been kind of hanging in their jammies for the last year. Uh, well, and yes, yes. My <laughs> my wife has had a very limited schedule uh, and only had to go into work, uh, you know, for a couple hours, a couple of days a week. Yeah. Just went in her pajamas because at the time the building could have one person. She said, who's going to know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah so, well, I mean, when was, like was the last time you had a necktie on? Uh, a month ago. Oh, okay. All right. I dressed up for because I, I had a performance. Oh, that's you right. You and I both had that's right. That's performance right. about the same yep. time. And I didn't wear a tie. Really nice. I yeah, I, I wore a tie. Yeah. I'd kind of forgotten how to tie it, uh, and then I remembered it was a clip-on. So, <laughs> <laughs> although I have the new, I have the I use the rare earth magnet clip-on. Those, nice. Those don't come off. Yeah. Yes. Well, well, you can put those things on anything. All eyes are on Minneapolis today, and the. The uh, National Guard is out already, getting ready for a week of tension. And the yeah. uh, f uh, final closing arguments were today. So we're going to see uh, how long the jury's going to take to deliberate. And maybe by the end of the week, we'll have a decision on the uh, George Floyd case. Uh, yeah, I, it's uh, it certainly has that uh, that feeling of no matter which way it goes, it's people aren't going to be happy. And it's it's very difficult, I think, uh, unless you're sitting in the courtroom, uh, you know, and you have to you have to know not only what evidence they heard, but what they weren't al weren't allowed to hear. Mm -hmm. There was a guy that was a member of the Magic Castle that was named Luke McKissick, uh, an attorney, and he was an attorney that was a news commentator, and he sat in the courtroom for the O.J. Simpson trial every day, and then he would come in, and I would talk to him some nights, and he would tell me the way that it was going, but he says, you can't just see, watch what's on the news and say, oh gosh, you know, they've really got them or they don't really have them. He says, you don't know what the jury has and hasn't heard. That's true. Because there are times when they're removed and discussions happen. And so stuff that you hear, they don't hear. Mm. Uh, so I know that where there were closing arguments today and I'm sure both sides were as convincing as can be, but you know, is it enough to create a reasonable doubt or is it enough to convict? Uh, is it going to be somewhere in the middle where they say lesser charges? Uh, and what will, is there going to be anything that makes people say that was fair? And I don't know if we can get that. Do you? Um, yeah, that's a good, it's a great point. I know it is going to be one of the most emotionally charged decisions. Uh, and, and I know the world is watching. So it's, it's going to be an interesting week. And I think there, there will be uh, some, very sad and unfortunate consequences, uh, regardless of what happens. Yeah, I mean, even if the prosecution were to succeed and and he's convicted on the you know the most egregious charges, I think it was second degree murder. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the, the people that are, are waiting to protest or whatever's going to happen, riot, um, will that have them say, well, let's just pack our stuff and go home or vice versa? Or will they just do it anyway and, and vice versa? Maybe, you know, I would love it if we could all be patient enough to say, I want to hear why the jury voted the way it voted. You know, just because whatever the verdict is, it's like, tell us why they did it. Can mm-hmm. You know, what was the convincer for them that either said acquittal, partial acquittal, you know, or, or, or full conviction? I don't think we're going to get that. And that um, uncertainty, I think, will lead to bigger problems. I agree. And I'm I, I know one thing we all should do as as the body of Christ is be praying for our country and be praying for this specific situation, because uh, I think there will be impacts in every major city. It's just not going to be Minneapolis. No, I agree. I think it'll be every major city. And, you know, it's a, I, I think I was telling you earlier today, I'd seen an episode of a, a NBC show, and uh, I saw it was a terrible miscarriage of justice, and a man spent 13 years behind bars, and, and you, you finish watching it, and you say, I didn't want to believe that that could really happen here. Mm-hmm. But I heard these stories, and miscarriages of justice, even though we have a great system, they do happen, and they're not fair. Um, and they're very hard. And this man, 13 years in prison, was a prayerful man and maintained his, you know, as best he could chipper attitude, and it finally got cleared up. Mm-hmm. 13 years. And I thought, wow. but that is a greater man than me by far. I don't know if I could do it. And he knew it was a miscarriage of justice. Mm-hmm. He was wrongly convicted. Yeah. The inventor of Adobe and the PDF file passed this weekend. And do you even know what PDF stands for? Uh, pretty darn fast. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't think so. <laughs> I was thinking you might be helpful today, but apparently not. Yeah. No. Well, it, I'm going to guess you would never ask me a question that you didn't know the answer to. <laughs> I don't know the answer to this one. <laughs> what? Okay. Hang on. It's portable document format. Okay. Yeah. I so do. you know what? It's appropriately named because all it is is portable. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's certainly not pretty darn fast. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh my goodness, you can never get those things open. Yeah, I can't. I don't even know how to send one. But anyway, that's just me. All right, Patrick, thanks so much for getting my day started off on the right foot. I appreciate you, and uh, I always like chatting with you. So have a great rest of the day. Thanks, you too. You bet. Patrick Albany has been my uh, opening guest on this Monday, just like he was last Monday, and probably will be the following Monday. But it's always nice to uh, connect to a friend and find out what went on over the weekend and have some encouragement, a little bit of laughs, and get the week started right. Take a little break. When we come back, uh, the Monday afternoon mix with Pastor David Miles, Rosie and I will take place. So glad you're with me today. I so appreciate you. I'm looking forward to more time together. We've got David coming up, and then hour two, Dr. Millard Erickson for Words of the Wise. That's all ahead.
to the show. It's time for the Monday Afternoon Mix with Pastor David Miles, Rosie and I, and we're all glad to be together once again. Smiling faces. Everyone seems to be in a good mood. Bibles are open. So far, so good. David, welcome. Rosie, welcome. Hi, Bill. Hi, Rosie. Hi, Bill. Hi, David. How y'all doing? We're good. 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 Hello to everyone out in KTIS listening studio family land, and a big thank you. Um, I haven't heard the results of last week, but I just want to say thank you to so many people who supported our Share-a-thon and giving so that listeners and family and individuals can constantly hear the gospel. If you haven't had an opportunity to to do that, Bill, where could they go if people missed out on last week and wanted to still contribute? Well, you're awfully nice to say that, David. Uh, Honestly, I mean, I I know that came from your heart. And I think people uh, know that if they were to go to MyFaithRadio.com, you can always give safely and securely there. Um, and I know we send out mailings to people and you can always respond to that if you like. So, yeah, thank you. For yeah, that. no problem. And, you know, you didn't ask me to do it. Um, I just wanted to just share that because sometimes we, we're, we're, we never know where a person's at and, and sometimes they'll hear something and that's the one push towards Christ. That's the one encouragement. That's the thing where they feel like they're on their last leg and, mm-hmm. You know, their last prayer was, Lord, what do I do next? And yeah, right. they turned the ignition on their car, and whoever was in earlier left it on that station, and they hear a word that gives them life in that moment. Yeah, we often say the the right word at the right time, but that applies to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll flip the radio on yeah. where I literally have six minutes to be in the car, and I'll hear something that just rocks my world yeah. off the station. And I think, I get that, that mm-hmm. right word at the right time thing. I think St. Augustine, you know, though they didn't have radio back, you know, in that third century, uh, could resonate with this. Because for many who know St. Augustine of Hippo, North African theologian who changed pretty much our entire, you know, faith uh, and would be the things that Luther would write on another along with Anathanasia. Um, But here's the thing. He was far from God. And if you remember his story in the confession, he's sitting there and wondering, God, what do I do? And he hears this little child say, take up and read, take up and read. And he opens up to the passage that he opens up to, and God just pierces his heart with the reality of who he is in the gospel. And it leads to this great confession of which that book is representative. So that was kind of uh, uh, an early K- KTIS before uh, that little girl knew she was working for the station. <laughs> well, I love that. People tune in every day. They listen. Um, a lot of people listen all day long. And I know that they're getting fed. I know that for a fact. This, When you get God's word into you, that's soul food. Yeah, very much so. And I, I don't know, um, you know, Tammy says to our kids, you know, the gig go garbage in, you know, garbage out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and how are we... How are we watching our eye gate, our ear gate, our mind gate, our soul gate, our mm-hmm. affections, those those various gates and you know, Proverbs twenty four or Proverbs four twenty three in the NIV says, Guard your heart for it, it's the wellspring of life. You know, and so, you know, a need to to to, to be doing that. And um e- even more so, because we we've shared about this, that the average American sees between six and ten thousand marketing images a day. You know, so that's a lot of programming and a lot of things that are coming our way. So this this is very helpful for people. Mm. That's staggering. <laughs> it is. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, am I, am I 
really that many messages a day? Yeah, the um, you know, I remember when it used to be like 3,000. And, wow. uh, you know, quick, just, you know, there's a book called Intoxicated with Babylon mm-hmm. by Steve Gallagher. And he writes on things with, you know, ministry and purity and things like that. It is an incredible book. One of my... One of my prayer partners sent this book to me, one of the guys I went to sim with. And uh, it is, that's where I first heard about the 3,000 imaging, but now they're like easily six to 10,000. And if you go into a grocery store, um, I don't have the exact um, manufacturer of it, but, but there's easily 42,500 different products in a grocery store. So you can walk down an mm-hmm. aisle and be hit with a thousand different marketing choices that are right in front of you. So um, it's fascinating to think that the the very first time I I heard this stat, I remember I was preparing a message and I thought to myself, no way. And I went to the, went went for lunch and went to go fill my car up at a speedway in Xenia, Ohio. And the Lord just said, David, look around. And I started looking around and, you know, sure there's, you know, McDonald's, Arby's, Pizza Hut, Speedway, Banks, and then when I was at Speedway, then you start looking at all the different advertisements there. And then there was a computer TV screen that was filtering. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, it, I guess it's not hard mm-hmm. to see that many uh, images, whether we're always conscious of them, but but we're being exposed to those. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember last week we talked about God's intentionality for us as his creation? Yeah. And as you're saying this, I'm just thinking, wow, our intentionality to choose what we give our attention to is equally as important to be connected to him. Like we have to be so intentional. If all those messages are coming at us, you know, at their opportune time and we might not even be aware of it, then we need to be intentional with what we choose. Yeah. You're spot on on that, Rosie. Um, You know, the psalmist would say early in the morning, I seek you first Mm -hmm. thing in the morning, I seek you. Uh, in the evening and the watches. And, uh, you know, another fascinating documentary was Social Dilemma. Oh, yeah, uh, I love and that. It's, it's on a Netflix of all the people who created all these various social apps. And some of them are quite sad because they're sitting there saying, like, we created this for really good things. And then it became this thing of which we're guinea pigging people. And they make the point of, you know, if you're if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. You know, and the idea that uh, advertisers, they don't, as you're, as you're hinting at, Rosie, mm-hmm. they don't want our money. What what they're vying for is our attention, because if you can get our attention, then those other things, mm-hmm. you know, follow. And then also just shaping um, our perception of of others and ourselves through our attention. So this morning I got up and I was having my quiet time. And I was thinking about my week, and I thought, you know, my my day begins with my heart and my mind saying, I, I have hope for everyone that I meet and encounter today. I never look at someone unhopefully, and I want to defend the gospel and be persuasive, knowing I can coerce no one, and I need to treat everyone respectfully. That's what came out of my quiet time this morning. Thanks for asking. Oh, wait. No, neither, neither of you asked. So, Bill, what yeah. about your quiet time this yeah. morning? Well, I just mentioned uh, some of the things that came out of my quiet time. 
But again, just I'm reminding myself, I have hope for anyone, anyone and everyone I meet. I have hope for, and I think that's the way I, I have a, a strong uh, sense of every person I encounter be hopeful for. Yeah, and, and I like how, Bill, what you're noting um, is how Scripture and God's Word and the Holy Spirit ought to frame our vision or our sight of other individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one of the interesting things is that uh, a few years ago they, they noted that the eyeglass industry was projected this year to be somewhere around the, the lines of $140 billion industry, you know. And some people will note that with their glasses, they, they can see well, uh, but sometimes if they take off their glasses, you know, uh, it's a hot mess. But through the, the uh, you know, changing of a lens, it can bring um, great clarity to the things that we see. And, you know, some of the things that we're looking at even today that we're we're dealing with as a nation and even addressing, it comes through the the um, the place of, you know, what what do we see? Like, how is our vision and our vision and therefore our interpretation of what we're seeing, you know, um, can change things. And so, you know, you take this incredible story that many people know in the Bible about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we covered this a little bit yesterday in church, and it's a passage that I've looked at before in Luke chapter 10 that I, that I love, you know, but we, we, um, we, we view the passage sometimes a little bit lighter than what it was. And because, you know, it's a story of a, a religious lawyer who's trying to justify himself to uh, Jesus and saying, you know, what must a person do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him and says, go do that. But the guy's like, he wants to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? That's a great question for us today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus tells the parable. You know, a man comes down going from Jericho, Jerusalem, gets caught by robbers. You know, a priest shows up, takes a look, sees the man, crosses over to the other side. You know, Levite comes, sees the man, crosses over to the other side. And then a Samaritan comes. And here's the interesting thing. All three of them, because the word, same word is used, all of them saw the man but only the Samaritan had spalignochismi, that deep guttural word for compassion. Where'd that word come from? That? Spali- yeah. yeah, say that again. Spalignochismi. Greek or Hebrew? Greek. Greek. Okay. So ancient language of Greek in Luke, it uses the word... Is that a spal- fun word to say? It is a fun word. Makes Do it me one more eat, time. Makes me want to eat Italian food. Spalignochismi. Yeah, yeah. Spaligmo chismai. <laughs> I'm never going to try. I, yeah, no, I said that, it and I didn't butcher it. <laughs> you know, cream of belay. But you see it earlier in, in uh, Matthew chapter uh, Matthew chapter 8, Mark chapter 6, and the feeding of the 5,000. It says Jesus comes up on the shore. He sees the people helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And it says, and he had compassion for them. It literally means the bowels, the deepest part of our, our guess. Just, it's, a, it's a grabbing of the deepest parts of our feeling. And then in another well-known passage that we absolutely love is, is the story of the prodigal son, which is really more aptly the story of the eldest brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but it says that when the father saw the son, he had compassion and ran towards him. 
And so the idea is, like, how do we see people? And, you know, Samaritans and Jews, they, like, hated each other. I mean, like, they bombed each other's places, destroyed their high holy places. And if you look at Luke chapter 10, well, if you go back a few pages, uh, uh, back to the previous chapter, uh, you know, Jesus um, is on his way to go to Jerusalem. And, you know, before this, they asked the question of, who's the greatest? The the disciples are asking, who's the greatest? Like, who's the best? And so then they're on their way walking towards the village, and Jesus sent messengers to go into a village of Samaritan and make preparations, but they reject him. So James and John, known as the sons of thunder for this reason, turn to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, shall we not call down fire from heaven to destroy this entire town? Just wipe them out. And, but Jesus turned and he rebuked them. And they went on to another village, and Jesus goes on to say and talk to them about the cost of following Jesus, that you have to, you have to lay it all down and follow him. So when you come to the story about the Good Samaritan, you know, these, these guys are sitting there thinking, dude, Jesus made the Samaritan, you know, the hero in this story. And, and so one of the things that you're dealing with is people's perception of what do they see um, in other individuals. I think it's timely because like when Jesus, when, when scripture tells us, but if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. Not perfection, but they're a new creation. And Paul says, I used to look at Jesus in a human type of view, but I don't do that any longer. And, you know, that's what you're saying, Bill, from your quiet time, that you look out and you see people with different eyes, because when we don't, it leads us to otherize them, to consider them other. And, you know, Bill, as I was driving over, you know, occasionally love listening to, you know, I only not only get to be a part of the privilege of just sharing on the show, but even getting to listen, you know, and it's neat as you and Patrick having a neat conversation about the power of language and and how we view people. And, And my heart goes out as Patrick was sharing about his uh, wife's cousin who struggles with meth and, you know, just this brilliant person, what happened to their life. And because we know Patrick and we know this person and there's kind of a connection and we can see the person, compassion happens. Mm-hmm. But, but you know how I love congruency. But then congruency gets lost out the window where in the next breath the person can say, we're in, we're in we're in Minneapolis, and this week is the ruling of George Floyd. And, well, George Floyd was on meth, and his girlfriend and him shared about struggling with pain and addiction, which opioid epidemic, unlike the war on drug, which was primary people of color, was viewed as a health crisis, partially because a number of people in dominant culture can see, as Patrick said, we can see ourselves in it. So seeing ourselves in it, it causes a compassion. So in one breath, the person be like, man, I feel for this person and should. And the next breath can be, well, George was on meth. He was a druggie. He deserved what he got. And so the distance between viewing people as Samaritans and viewing people as part of the family, you know, is... It's a profound thing, and God calls us to say, 
Hey, by the way, all of you are outsiders compared to a holy and perfect God. None of you have a leg to stand on. Mm-hmm. I'll take a little break. Now I can hardly wait to I get a chance to say, hey, waiter, there's too much garlic on my spalagogemacy. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say that right? <laughs> that caught me completely off guard. <laughs> say that again. Say the word one more time. Spaligno-chizomai. <laughs> I wasn't even close. <laughs> you were close. Splig. All right. No we'll be right back. Chizomai. Monday afternoon mix. More. By now, it's like I wouldn't get a rise out of me, but it does. It's well, funny. It's like a little kid sometimes when you see like these little toddler clips, and you know they just get a kick out of you know the smallest thing, and then they just keep laughing, and you think <laughs> they're done, and then you like do it again, and they keep laughing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go back to Luke chapter ten. When we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your." Well, no. The, Jesus agreed to this, that love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think it's pretty simple. Well, you know, you... The instructions are simple. Yeah. The instructions seem simple. um, And then the actual execution... Is very difficult, right? Sometimes can probably seem a little bit more diff, you know, difficult because for, for, you know, for the everyday Jewish person, they, they knew the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, which, which he's quoting, you know, and they would pray this and quote this, you know, twice a day. And so they, they knew and understood that. And in this, you see a person having right belief. You know, remember, remember we've talked about Klaus Eisner, who's from uh, Biola, and he has an article on profess versus um, core beliefs, you know, so profess versus core beliefs. So we have these beliefs that we, that we profess out, but our core beliefs are quite, um, different and, and, and can actually be juxtaposed. So one night, you know, we were, we were having a life group and we were, we were discussing a thing on missions. There's a neat missions explore book that we were going through and we we're talking about refugees and we're having a good conversation. And it's like, you know, great, you know, refugees need to love them. And it was a really scripturally sound and, you know, biblically sounding question there's good oohs and ahs and like yeah we're seeing it and at one point i just had to stop and i said yeah we have to talk about the elephant in the room though and people are like what's that and i'm like you know uh it was barnes poll when asking did we have a responsibility to even care for refugees uh as a country not talking illegal or anything just with refugees and it came back 50 percent of black protestants said yes so half of them like yeah we we 
we have responsibility to do that. 25% of white evangelicals, yes, okay? But 65% of religiously unaffiliated, they said yes. And so the, the poll person's like, so let's get this right. The religiously unaffiliated and non-believer people have grasped more Jesus' heart towards this issue than black Protestants and for white evangelicals who were at the bottom of the poll. And so it's like, you know, that was like, okay, great. We have this, this profession of belief, but, um, you know, our core values. People sometimes say, you know what, Rosie, I treat everyone the same. You know, I treat everybody the same. And that's like, that's not true. Mm. It's a great pro- professed belief, but I'm not the only person whose parents maybe said, don't go with strangers. Mm-hmm. No, no. So I totally said that to my kids. So they're not in everybody. Yeah. You know, so there's these various ways where sometimes, and what's happening here, this guy is a lawyer. So he has like, they would debate and get into conversations, you know, about the law. And, you know, you had those guys, you had scribes and others. So they'd get into these great, you know, great conversations and um, at the same time would be, you know, missing it. Um, Fernando Arizola in his book, Prophetic uh, Youth Ministry, talks about how you had people who were more conservative who were like the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees get a bad rap, but they were trying to remain pure, uh, you know, even in the world. Uh, And then you had more of a liberal slant, which is more like your Sadducees. And then you had, you know, they were like, you know, let's just focus on great thought and all those other things. Then you had the Essenes, and then you had your political people like the Herodians and the Zealots. But Jesus didn't associate with with any of them because in and of themselves, they lacked the prophetic, Holy Spirit-empowered thing to see transformation happen. And, you know, guys, I'm sitting in the studio with you not because of, you know, five-point Calvinists, Reformed people, or great dispensationalists, you know, in the last century, or even during King's marching. No, it was Unitarians, Catholics, and Jews who marched with Dr. King. And on the opposite side, and sometimes either passive or aggressively opposed, were people that were fundamentalist evangelical. Like they had the right theology. And so, and when you hear that, it can be like really, you know, offensive to think that Jesus is pointing out not the person who graduated from Northwestern or Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, my, my alma mater, but is picking up you know, the Samaritan, who's the person who looks and sees and has compassion. And Jesus says, go do likewise, like this person. That, that's hard. Yeah. When I see that expression, love your neighbor as yourself, I think at one point I might ask, do you try to meet your neighbor's needs with the same urgency you meet your own needs? Do you try to meet your neighbor's needs with the same urgency as you do your own needs? Well, and also I think, too, that it's it's also an indication of your neighbors being someone like yourself. If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to be I'm going to be concerned about meeting my needs, right? Yes. So then am I as concerned about meeting their needs with the same urgency? I'm interested in meeting my needs. A lot of silence. I know. <laughs> well, I'm trying to turn it. It's it's kind of a turned inside out thing because where I was, where I was thinking is that it's it's so easy 
to meet the needs of somebody when you can relate to them as as David was talking about earlier. But I think this this whole Luke pushes more of a moral issue than and it, it shows the blatantness. Can you be as kind to somebody that isn't like you at all? Mm-hmm. And so where is that core coming from? You know, is it are we kind to people because they're like us? You know, because we we have an affinity to them because you know, we see them all the time versus our, it's so much easier not to be nice to somebody if you don't have any connection. And that's, and so this is, it sounds easy, but it's a very, it's a moral, to me, it's a moral opportunity to walk it out no matter what, you know, that Jesus is saying, you know, forget all of the variables. I'm asking you to step in regardless if somebody needs help. Fastest half hour in radio on Monday. Wow. We're done already. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for this discussion. We opened some doors. We'll maybe go back and continue this next week. I think so. And as you have conversations with people, even the people that are difficult in your eyes, begin to see them through the eyes of your loved one, you know, and see them the way that God sees them and more importantly, sees us as fervent people. Good encouragement. Pastor David Miles has been my guest for the Monday Afternoon Mix. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you, David. Thank you, Rosie. We're going to take a uh, break. Then when we come back, hour two's ahead. We're going to have a full hour with Dr. Millard Erickson, Words of the Wise. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.